0: If it goes right it's a slice if it goes left it's a hook if it goes straight it's a miracle this is out of bounds if it's happening in the world of golf we're talking about it coverage debate discussion pro golf and local golf let's do it this is out of bounds and here are your hosts nate sharman and josh Derso.
1: All right, welcome back to the Out of Balance podcast. Josh Durso and Nate Sharman here getting you ready for the Scottish Open. We're also going to look at the last weekend in professional golf. We got the U.S. Women's Open, Sepp Straco winning, the John Deere and Cam Smith winning at Live London. Uh, Nate, it's been like a week and a half here. Um, Fourth of July, your quote unquote favorite golf weekend of the year. Uh, came and went. I went down to Hilton Head, didn't touch a golf club for about seven days. It was the best seven days of my life. Um, How did that, how did your, uh, how'd your favorite weekend of golf uh, play out?
0: So if you remember that last podcast, we were talking about July 4th, I said the weather is generally good. <laughs> I wasn't really right on that. It did rain a lot, a good amount or more so than it usually does here in the July 4th area, but still was able to play a good, a good amount of golf, little resets by the pool, hang out with some family here and there. So overall it was a good weekend not perfect banner fourth of july weather but good enough we'll take it um josh it looked like a lot of fun down there in hilton head one of your favorite places to go didn't get a chance to play on the golf course huh
1: did not touch a golf club the closest thing to it i guess would be a uh we played a little mini golf while
0: we were down we gotta there. go play. we gotta play Town one of these years that looks like a fun that's would be a lot of fun course i think i'd lose some serious amounts of golf balls though that's for sure
1: yeah not only you and me both um that is a that is a different kind of golf course. Um but yeah, it was it was awesome. Good vacation. Our friends got engaged. It was awesome. Um oh, yeah. all the way awesome around. Stuff. And of course, you know, I, I we talk about it a little bit here in the northeast. A lot of people complain about when the weather gets really hot and humid. Uh some people say, you know, I don't want to go play golf here in the northeast when it's 85-90 degrees and humid. Let me tell you. Uh Hilton Head uh, in July. Golf courses were absolutely mobbed. And it was about 95 degrees with 95% humidity and dew points around 80. And like I said, golf courses were absolutely mobbed. Um, I think it's just an appreciation for for the kind of weather we have up here. Um, but let me tell you, those warmer climates, people still play golf. Five and a yep. half, six hour rounds of uh, rounds of golf. From what I talk, talked to some locals while I was down there, they said uh, five and a half, six hour rounds of golf. That happens. So, you know.
0: Golf. Just me thinking about the area, not knowing a ton about it, Josh, but I, if I had to guess, it'd probably be hard to get on some of those golf courses, you know, during those prime times when it's a little bit lower temperature and different times of the year. So if you want to play, you got to go play when it's it's 90 plus degrees out in high humidity, but you bring a couple bottles of water with you, maybe a towel to kind of cool That's off right. and and you're fine. Maybe you have a blue light too to enjoy yourself, but got to have that water in the water bottle and, and just keep it moving and play some golf.
1: Yeah. And don't worry, you're not going to find any blue light down there because Trying to find blue light in South Carolina is like trying to find a needle in a haystack, unfortunately.
0: Um, No no Genesee Ruby Red then either? No
1: no Ruby Red either. All of our our favorite upstate New York uh, uh, staples in the beer department are notably absent from uh, the island. Uh, All right, let's get things rolling here with our three biggest uh, stories. And we're going to start here with the biggest non-golf golf news that we keep having to talk about week in and week out. Um, We had the Senate hearing yesterday. Uh, A few big takeaways after watching a good chunk of that and reading through some of the uh, transcripts online. First, addressing some of the questions folks uh, have thrown out on social media. Um, Yesterday's hearing was the only one that's scheduled to this point. My guess is there's going to at least be one more after we have a more concrete uh, version of the framework uh, agreement in place. Uh, another question we've seen is what what role do these Senate hearings have in actually determining whether uh, LIV, PIF, PGA Tour, all these different entities can come together and merge? None, really. So it's basically part of uh, evidence collection, if you want to think of it as, a, as an investigation. Um, but in terms of what uh, Senate hearings like yesterday was, it's really nothing more than political theater. So in order to get to the next step, We need something more concrete than the framework agreement that we have right now. That uh, agreement will be submitted to the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and the DOJ, who share oversight of mergers and acquisitions here in the US. Um, Again, they will not be analyzing a framework agreement like the one that we saw come out about a month and a half ago. They will be analyzing a legit a, a real merger, a real, uh, acquisition type document. Um, they will be the ones who give the final yes or no. And we are no closer after yesterday to getting to that point than we were 48 hours ago. So yesterday was really just, um, first time in the sunlight, I guess for, uh, PGA Tour leadership to kind of explain their thinking on why this is the right move. Uh, to that end, we had PGA Tour CEO Ron Price and board member uh, Jimmy Dunn, who's been called the architect of this deal, answering questions for roughly three hours. That's how long the hearing uh, lasted. Obviously, not a ton of talk time for them individually. There was also a lot of, uh, I will call it grandstanding, but grandstanding from elected officials uh, in Congress who were giving their position on why the PGA Tour should not uh, take this deal. Uh, like we knew before, the PGA Tour uh, kind of screwed here because they are losing an extraordinary amount of money. And if this if this deal were to be blocked, professional golf would cease to exist as we know it, right? So that's just kind of a a fact at this point. And a lot of the details that we saw come out yesterday – related to how much um, money the PGA tour has been losing paint that picture pretty clearly um early parts of talks apparently involved Rory and Tiger owning a live team in uh, playing in 10 ish events per year live events that is given what we know about everything that's obviously not going to happen i'm not sure what this you know what tiger or rory's stake in this new entity will be, but it's certainly not going to be involved Tiger Woods playing in 10 plus events plus the four majors. It just a, a firm no there. Um another interesting detail that came out two uh PIF or Ramco elevated events on the PGA tour schedule. Sounds like the same goes for the DP World Tour. Um Yasir Al Ramayan uh, getting membership to the RNA as well as Augusta uh those feel like kind of I feel like those are locks. Those things are not that big a deal in the grand scheme of, of professional golf or business or anything else for that matter. Um interesting, I guess, to to show what I, I guess it's interesting because it showcases what uh Al Ramayan is is kind of looking for uh personally out of this deal. So beyond what the PIF and the Saudis will gain from um, being embedded in a legitimate business, uh, legitimate American business, the you know the kind of personal part of what he wants out of this as well, um, and then naturally the other thing, there were no PIF reps, uh, including Al uh, at the hearing yesterday, um, and as per usual in American politics, disagreement fell pretty firmly across party lines. Republicans were a little more open and supportive to the idea. Democrats were more strongly opposed. Um, but again, I kind of just want to hit back on it. This does not change anything about where we are in the actual process of merging all of these entities together. We're no closer than we were before the Senate hearing right. uh, to getting some kind of real deal ironed out. So right. that that's that.
0: Yeah, the largest thing that came out of this to me, Josh, is it's just kind of confirmed a lot of what we already sort of knew We kind of knew that the PGA Tour kind of had their backs up against the wall. You know, they're a company that has a little over a billion dollars. I think it's around 1400000000 billion they're valued at in their assets. And the PIF, they have about $700 billion. (laughs) So if we were to continue to do what we've been doing for the last two years, the PIF is just going to win. They're going to eventually squeeze out the PGA Tour, grab two to three to four to five golfers a year, and just squeezing them out. And so this just kind of had to happen, right? This is something we came on here and we talked about a couple of weeks ago or a month ago now, maybe about how it's maybe not the best option for the world of golf, right? Obviously being involved with, with these types of people isn't is ideal, but it kind of has to, had to happen. You know, it, it's a way that as golf is, professional golf is sort of saved to be in the realms of controlled by the PGA Tour because throughout the framework of this agreement, it seems like, you know, the Saudis and the PIF are very on tune with the PGA Tour and saying – we don't want to control it. This is wants to be something we want to be controlled by you guys and run by you guys, but backed up by us and, and kind of in an agreement that way too. So as this progress has kind of happened, I've kind of flipped a little bit and, and really want this that happen because in my mind, if this doesn't happen, like you said, Josh, professional golf ceases to exist as we know it, if this does not occur. So it just kind of confirms my, you know, kind of thinking and, and how the PGA tour and how Jimmy Dunn was thinking going through this process. A couple more thoughts, you know, about Tiger and Rory having to play in ten ish live events a year and own a team. That's just that's that's just ludicrous. Tiger Woods is not going to play in ten live events next year, and Rory McIlroy is definitely not playing in ten live events next year. I think if you you told Rory McIlroy he has to play in ten events next year, he just puts his clubs away and and, and uh, keeps taking plays at Oak Hill for the rest of his life, right? Doesn't need to play any more professional golf, but that's just kind of the way Rory is. So that's a little bit outlandish that they'd even think about that, but. Yeah, they're good props. Kudos to them for trying, but I don't see how that ever happens. And the last thing, Josh, before I turn it back to you, uh, you got to really uh, admire uh, uh, Yasir for really wanting, I guess, membership at Augusta, right? Because if anyone else is in that position, you or I, or, or any of us, we we would want that too. So kudos to him for for gaining access to Augusta. It looks like that's going to happen too. So uh, Yassir is going to be able to play down in uh, Augusta, Georgia. That's cool. Hey,
1: I, I think the the funny, the part that sticks out to me is just how kind of like amusing and almost, I almost feel like it's petty. Like of all of the really big, important things that are going on right now in the world of professional golf with with regard to the PIF, Saudi's DP World Tour, PGA, uh, PGA Tour um, and live. Membership for one guy to Augusta is just like, the, the littlest, most minor thing in the group, it just doesn't matter. Like I understand the, the golf elitist, I guess will say, think it's really important in one way or another, whether he is or is not a member of at Augusta, but look, 99.99999% of the golfing population, golf consumers, and frankly humans in general will not give a rat's tail whether this guy is a member or not at Augusta or who is a member at Augusta or not. Because aside from the Masters, nobody actually cares who's a member at Augusta other than members at Augusta. Yep, just saying.
0: Yeah, sure. No, you're, you're exactly <laughs> like, right there, Josh.
1: But... It's, yeah. Um, the only other note I'd add to all of this is just kind of the... It cannot be stressed enough that I think this does kind of put golf in a spot where it's sink or swim. This deal has to happen. And if it doesn't, I don't think it's going to be like, you just, you describe it kind of as like what would be a slow burn where, you know, the PGA Tour would keep losing uh, guys to live. I think this would be a more immediate existential crisis for the PGA tour if it weren't denied. Because yeah. I think
0: that would have happened if they didn't do this. And then, if, yeah. but I agree with you, Josh, that that's the end of the golf as we know it, if it doesn't happen.
1: Cause they already, I mean, they've already pointed out that like, yes, right now, uh, the PGA tour is pulling from its reserves to cover the difference in what the, the tour and sponsors are bringing to the table for these elevated events. Um, but it's already become pretty clear that they can't sustain this even for another season. Right. So this merger is like desperately necessary. Otherwise everything that the PGA tour has created over the last year and a half is dead. Like it's done. There are no questions asked. So this deal really has to go forward. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. Obviously I, my guess is this fall, we're going to really see things speed up. We'll get through the playoffs And once we get through that in September, probably before the Ryder Cup, I think we're going to see a more uh, detailed document come out of what this merger will look like. And that will ultimately, that'll be when the the real politics starts uh, and when the FTC is really going to start to analyze things. Um, But let's talk golf. Uh, Sepp Straka wins the John Deere Classic, Nate. It was quite a weekend, uh, quite a Sunday for Sepp.
0: Yeah, there was a really crowded leaderboard going into Sunday. I, th- I think a few guys were one back of the lead. Brendan Todd held the the, the uh, thirty six hole or the forty eight hole lead, excuse me, um, until uh, thirty four hole lead. But he had the the one shot lead. He was able to make par on eighteen, to hold that. But then Seb Straka comes out of nowhere. He starts the day four back, fires a sixty two in round four. That that couldn't have been better, right? We'll t- we'll talk about that double bogey he made on eighteen here in just a second. But really, really impressive for Sepstrak, a guy that's an you know, Austrian trying to make that European Ryder Cup team, right? And this is surely going to help his chances to be to be there in Rome in, in uh the coming months here. But just a good, really, really, really good round by uh, by Strach able to distance himself from the field and and make that uh, sixty two to get the second career victory. But going back to eighteen, has a, a I don't know about one hundred fifty yards and you know probably a wedge or you know a little bit more than that possibly, and just hooks it into the water on eighteen left. And it's it was kind of jarring to me watching it because at that point he's got I think he's got a three or four shot lead at that point, maybe even a more four or five, but just needed to put that on the green and make a four, right? Doesn't need to make it doesn't need to make birdie and try to get to even better score. Needs to just avoid the big number there and and just hits a, a poorly executed wet shot that winds up in the water. He almost gets up and down for bogey after the penalty shot, makes double, goes into the clubhouse, and and then he's sitting there watching and, and just nerves because he finishes probably close to an hour before that final group was done. So I yeah. had sat to sit there and watch and, and then ended up going to the range a little bit after that. But um, I can't imagine what's going through his head after he makes double on the final hole and has to sit there and watch through because it would have been a lot smoother sailing had he made a par.
1: Yeah. And just to kind of put that in historical context, uh, only two other times that I could find uh, had someone bo- double bogeyed the 72nd hole and gone on to win. Uh, Keegan Bradley in 2015 and uh, Miliano Grillo earlier this year. Um, just a rare, a rare thing to see happen in general in golf. And also, I believe he started Thursday with a double bogey. Is that correct? I
0: th- I'm i not sure, but that, that does sound like that could be correct. Um he or he shot, I know he didn't play well on Thursday, so that could make sense.
1: I mean, he was over par. He, it was either that he double bogeyed the first hole or that he was um, over par in that first round. I think he might he have been definitely straight, over par. Yeah, I know he was over. Um, and to come back and do what he did, one hell of a performance. Um, just quickly, I know we're not going to touch on it too much, but Ryder Cup, do you think this uh, win this past weekend solidifies him on the Ryder Cup team? He's ranked like 27th or 28th in the world.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't see how it doesn't, you know, Josh. We, we can dive in more of the European Go- uh, Ryder Cup team here in the coming weeks, but I don't see how you don't take a winner who's now won twice on the PGA Tour and a guy like <laughs> Sepstraka Straka not on your team. Because uh he's obviously a player and playing well right now too. Uh we'll see what he does in the next coming weeks here as we we go over the pond. But I don't I don't foresee him not being on uh, Luke Donald's team.
1: All right. And uh US women's open, uh out west primetime. There was so much uh energy heading into this event. Um what was the big takeaway? Obviously, you're gonna talk to us about the winner, but man, what a weekend for uh women's professional game
0: what a weekend is right. We were, everybody was so excited for this tournament, you know, happening at Pebble beach golf links in California. The first time though, the women have played this course. And it was so meaningful that, that Annika Storenstein came out of retirement to play in the golf tournament. So one of your, your really huge names in the history of professional golf comes out and plays, you know, that's a big event, right? And then you mentioned it being in California, it was in that primetime slot. They didn't do the PGA tour thing and set them off at 645 local time or 640 or 345 local time. Excuse me. They uh, sent them out a little earlier, so they weren't finishing in the dark. But we'll talk a little more about the tournament. Allison Corpus is your winner. She won by four shots. The Hawaii native played very well um, all four rounds, especially in that final two rounds where she was in the last group both days. Just played rock solid and uh, acted like she had been there before because she hasn't. It's her first career LPGA tour win. Pretty young player on the scene in LPGA tour. Josh, we've talked the last few weeks about how good and how good of a spot the LPGA tour is with all these young stars. Allison Corpus, we didn't even mention her. So let's add that name to the list of of other good players that are on this tour and and making women's golf in such a great spot. But even more important, Josh, than the actual golf being played is the ratings that came out. They came out yesterday, and this is the most watched women's U.S. Open since 2014. So we're talking almost 10 years and how big of a spotlight this tournament was placed on. It was in prime time. That makes a huge difference. It went up against the PGA tour event um, in Illinois that is a, the John Deere classic, not as big, you no, know, not an elevated event. So people were more tuned in. I think to the women's us open, you had an American in um, Allison Corpus and a couple other Americans contending Rose Zhang to be one of them didn't necessarily contend, but she stayed in there till the final, you know, final days. Yep. So just really impressive um, event put on by the LPGA and uh, most streamed golf event on NBC in history, which is really saying something. NBC women's golf has been around for a little while and to be the most streamed event shows you where kind of the nation is going in terms of streaming and in terms of over cable. So that's pretty cool too. And finally the highest purse ever for a women's golf event. Um, Allison Corpus took, over, took home around 2 million for her win at uh, Pebble beach. Pretty impressive mm-hmm. stuff.
1: Yeah. And also just kind of a a note here um, players uh, in the U S women's open had their uh, expenses covered. And uh, if you made the cut 20 grand in your pocket. So a a big on the, on the dollars and cents side. Yeah. Big Uh, as far as Allison is concerned, um, still a very young player. Like you mentioned, she's only been around for a few seasons. I believe this is her third season. Um, She's played in fewer than 50 uh, events as a, as a professional uh, and to have that first win come at a major at a time when everybody is talking about Roseang, um, it's just, it puts the LPG Tour in an incredible spot here with young talent uh, and, frankly, talent that people are eager to watch. I think the streaming numbers that you just mentioned uh, make that case pretty damn well. People want to see it.
0: It's just some huge names have won, including Tiger Woods, right? So you yep. become the first woman to win at Pebble Beach. That's yeah. never going to be erased from the history books and as just, just a really, really impressive feat. I just, you know, it looks like a couple of times on Sunday when I was watching, she could have tripped up, you know, made a bogey or a double, but, she would always get up and down. She was missing a good amount of fairways on Sunday too, which isn't usually like her game. Josh, I think on the broadcast they said during the LPGA tour season, she hits over 80% of her fairways, which Incredible. is just an out, just an amazing number. And, and one, I, I actually had to look it up to make sure that was true because that just seems so crazy. But she played just really rock solid and, and didn't you know, wait for it all. She just kept her head in it and, and was able to come out with a victory.
1: Yeah um incredible stuff and like I said it's going to be really interesting to watch uh the lpga moving forward um just with the the firepower and the star power that they now have um speaking of star power a quick note here we got cam smith he won live london this past weekend uh timing of the win i think I, i obviously there's with the merger talks going on Um, It seems some folks are eager to put live to rest. Uh, We don't know what the outcome of this is going to mean be for live golf as a a tour schedule moving forward. Um, But timing this win is pretty big, in my opinion, because we're so close to the event that Cam Smith won last year and it's a major. Um, So I think his stock absolutely shot up in the last uh, weekend winning over there uh, in London good stuff. Do you read much into that or do you kind of take it as a, meh, not really a needle mover?
0: Um, I, I take a little bit as a needle mover. He's playing well at the right time. And when we know cam Smith has the game for this European golf link style too, right. Hits it down the middle, hits it hard and and knows how to play these golf shots. We remember last year when he put it on, I believe it was 17 kind of over that bunker. And he's about 30 yards in the hole and and knocked it up there close. was able to get up and down. So cam Smith playing well at the right time. He's going to be a force at, uh, royal liverpool here in a couple weeks
1: absolutely uh and let's get uh let's get everybody ready here for the scottish open nate what do we have coming up
0: heading over to the renaissance club in scotland as uh, we get ready for the uh the open championship happening first but first we got scottish open it's the second straight year this tournament's going to be co-sanctioned by the pga tour and the dp world tour that means that 75 dp world tour players will be in the field which is really cool because these guys are really competing well and these names we don't see a ton besides the majors right all season so it's really fun to see some of these names and as we get closer and closer to the Ryder cup you know that a couple of these players will be involved too so they'll be a fun a lot of fun to watch Uh, xander shawfly is your defending champion and scoring is pretty volatile at at these events especially over in europe last year we saw xander win at seven under par a couple years ago the score was about 20 under par. So uh, as European golf goes, you know, the wind can be flying up one day and really be tricky for these players. So European golf can really kind of change the scoring. So we'll see what happens with that. We, we like to talk a lot about scoring on this podcast, right, Josh? So I wanted to make sure we threw that in there. And then one last thing about the Scottish Open. Note the time change. You're going to wake up in the morning and, and golf's already going to be happening with about a five-hour time difference. They tee off around 2 a.m. local time that means that coverage on the golf channel will start at about 10 30 on Thursday morning. So when you wake up, be time to watch some golf. I always love to see that and love uh, the open championship for that reason, because I myself am an am early bird.
1: Yeah. Uh, everybody loves watching some early golf because we just don't get it that often. usually we're waiting until three, four o'clock in the afternoon on Thursdays and Fridays to see golf. Um, let's talk a little bit about odds Nothing really too surprising here, right? Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, Patrick Cantlay, Shoffley, Hatton, they're your your quote unquote favorites. Um, kind of seeing mixed odds, you know, six fifty to a thousand for your favorites, fourteen plus fourteen hundred plus sixteen hundred, plus two thousand uh for some of the other guys. Um, who stands out to you as your winner's pick if you're going to pick a winner?
0: They've been jumping around a little bit, Josh. I th- I think Hovland was in the top five there for a little while. Now it's Terrell Hatton. Seems to be yep. changing every day. So uh, something to keep of note too. But I'm going to go with Xander. One here last year, you know, kind of started that run where he's won a bunch of tournament events and hasn't really won in the last year. He's been kind of sticking around. So I think Xander gets back in the winner's circle this week at uh, the Renaissance Club, just like he did last year. He's about sixteen to one right now on the books.
1: Yeah, I I'm. I'm going to take uh Tyrell Hatton. Uh, I took him this morning. He was 20 to one this morning when I took him, but it looks like uh earlier version of the odds had him at 16 to one. So I guess um, he's one of the guys that's moving around a bit. I think he's been hanging around. Uh, he's been playing well enough. Um, we've seen him. We've seen him on some leaderboards over the last two months. He hasn't really gotten into contention on Sunday, but I think going playing over in Europe, it's entirely possible that that we see that happen, uh, and who knows, we could actually see him win.
0: You have a long shot for this week. Who are you taking there?
1: Uh Aberg Ludwig Aberg um, at fifty to one feels equal parts value and long shot. Um, he's been playing some serious golf, right? Uh, oh, he's yeah. coming off one of uh, his most important showings this past weekend, um, and it feels like a place that he could be comfortable enough to win. Obviously he's a very young player. So um expectations I guess would be kind of low in what is clearly an elevated event um in terms of who's playing. So you know I I think it would be a, a it would be monumental for him to actually get a win, but at fifty to one with the way he's been playing, feels like a good long shot pick. Who do you have?
0: I got a very much so long shot pick, another another Euro coming in on this event, Yannick Paul, coming in <laughs> at 200 to one. I don't think he'll necessarily win this event. He has played well. Um, winning this event would be a tremendous feat for him. But I more so look that he's going to really play well in this event because for reasons that I think we've talked about so far on this podcast, the European Ryder Cup is really starting to shape up and yep. try to figure out who's going to be on their team. Yannick Paul is a guy that's played very well on the DP World Tour this season. And a yeah. guy that it kind of fits those parameters to, to shape up on that team because they usually do take someone that's played well in the DP t- World Tour and not necessarily has played a lot on the PGA Tour during the year. So I think he's kind of a, a good fit for that spot. So if you take a look at Yannick Paul, he's got to keep playing well and be really good to play well on this stage in front of a lot of American eyes too to kind of get himself, his name assimilated with that team. So I expect Yannick to play well and just kind of taking a look at the odds this morning. Um, I didn't, I don't think he can win the event at 200 to one. I, I want to make that clear, but top 40 plus one seventy five. I think that's worth a look in and something I'm going to have to look at this afternoon before the uh, golf tournament gets start tomorrow.
1: Uh, yeah. Honestly, I feel like that almost, that doesn't necessarily feel like a lot. I don't want to call it a lock, but for the way he's been playing and being over there, um, a top 40 certainly seems like a, a good possibility.
0: Make sure you uh, get your sure. bets in. Anything you want to get in tonight, because it's not like something you can wake up tomorrow in and put yep. more bets in before they tee off. Teeing off around two at fifteen Eastern Standard Time. So make sure you get in your beds before get your bets in before you hit the beds tonight on Wednesday <laughs> night.
1: Hey, uh, that is going to do it for this edition of Out of Bounds. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for the latest golf news, new episodes, and plenty of other content. Remember, whether it's down the middle or out of bounds, keep on swinging.
0: You've been listening to Out of Bounds. If it's coverage, debate, or discussion of pro and local golf, we'll be talking about it. Be sure to visit the website. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next time on Out of Bounds.